That, of course, is the Meeting Santa Claus clip from A Christmas Story, the 1983 sleeper hit movie. A sequel, A Christmas Story Christmas, debuted last month on HBO Max, and it got today's guests thinking about some of the rules of the American Christmas movie, and especially the kinds of stories we tell ourselves at Christmas about love, money, capitalism, and class. I don't love economic exploitation, but I do love Christmas and Christmas movies. They work to sell me stuff and ideology, but they also critique commercialism and exploitation. See what subversive messages you can find in a holiday classic, I Triple Dog Dare You. That's Kathy M. Newman, a frequent guest on Labor Goes to the Movies, a podcast I co-host with Elise Bryant, where we hang out, talk about our favorite films, and chat with guests about work and workers on the silver screen. What it brought back for me was the memories of when Santa Claus wouldn't let us black children sit on his lap. Kathy's an associate professor of literary and cultural studies at Carnegie Mellon University, where she writes about radio, television, and contemporary media. Our discussion is based on her terrific article, A Working Class Christmas Story Christmas, from the Working Class Perspectives blog. And on Labor History in Two... The year was 1921. That was the day that President Warren G. Harding ordered former presidential candidate and socialist labor leader Eugene V. Debs released from prison. I'm Chris Garlock, and this is Labor History Today. I thought we would start out, uh, if you would, um, I would love for you to read your final paragraph in your wonderful column, uh, which introduced us to this movie that... Uh, Elise and I had not only never seen, we had never heard of it. It made me do some research. I went and looked in, in to see how many, uh, how many uh, top 10 Christmas movie lists it was on. It was on all of them. Okay, in my last paragraph, I say, as a radical activist who loves Christmas, this can be a confusing time of year. I don't love economic exploitation, but I do love Christmas and Christmas movies. They work to sell me stuff and ideology, but they also critique commercialism and exploitation. See what subversive messages you can find in a holiday classic, I Triple Dog Dare You. <laughs> which which we now know what that means. When I first read it, I had no idea what you were talking about. None. <laughs> All right. So so why don't you just I mean, I guess since everybody's seen this movie, we don't have to go into you know great details on the story. But I do think we should it, maybe in our audience, there will be more people like me and Elise than there are like you. So maybe you should give us a, a quick rundown on the, the a Christmas story story. Um, well, first, I'll just say a, a couple of words about the original movie. It was made in 1983. And it was made, um, it was the brainchild of director Bob Clark, who 
had just made Porky's. That's how he got famous. Right. And he also made a, a Christmas horror movie called Black Christmas. And he was inspired by a radio personality, a former steelworker from Hammond, Indiana, named Gene Shepard. And Gene Shepard uh, had a had a was a radio personality and did a lot of the stories that made it into a Christmas story over the radio. Some were also published in book form. And so these little vignettes were kind of stitched together into a single narrative for this film where the main character, an eight-year-old boy named Ralphie Parker, is obsessed with getting a Red Ryder BB gun for Christmas. So that's sort of the driving motivation for the main character. And then we see a lot of kind of sweet and also some salty uh, scenes from this working class small town about an hour south of Chicago in, and it's a very specific year. It's 1940 in, um, in this, uh, small Indiana town. So you, in your, in your column talk about, um, three rules, uh, uh, about, the stories we tell ourselves at Christmas about love, money, capitalism, and class. And I want to have you talk about those three rules. But I first, I first uh, want to go to Elise. Uh, Elise. So this is the first time you've ever seen this movie, Elise. I want to get your your quick reaction before we, we go back to Kathy. Love, money, capitalism, and class. Was that, was that what you just said? <laughs> and, and we're going to do this all in 20 minutes. So, you know, no. <laughs> Uh, it's a it's an easy lift. Well, you know, it was really um, st stunning. I mean, I was sort of prepared be because I'd read uh, Kathy's article before watching the the film. Uh, that really was working class. I mean, this was this was middle Midwest working class. I totally relate to it as someone coming from Detroit. Uh, and the whole thing with the Christmas lights and plugging them in and burning out sockets <laughs> and all that uh, was just very relatable. Uh, and of course, I love the winter and the school. The, the school looked like the, the school I went to when I went to, it looked like my uh, elementary school. So I totally related to all of that uh, and, and could appreciate where it was, where the setting of the of the story. Uh, the story itself though, the salty part was the part that I kept, I was just like, wow. And this, this, this got, this is one of the top movies and it's like, you know, the dad and his, you know, he's um, uh, always using uh, profanity and even though you just sort of hear it mumbling in the background, you don't really hear it. And when he says the F-bomb word, you don't really hear them, hear anyone say it. But that that's one of the scenes that bothered me was that he lied and his mother called this other kid and and ha and also being a, a product of homes where, you know, spare the rod, you spoil the child. It was like, I just felt so sorry for that other kid. Mm hmm. I was like, no, Ralphie, this is not cute. This is not clever. This is nasty. Um, and so the nasty bully kids and all that kind of stuff. It was really, it was, it was really interesting in that. But, but, but the other hand, my favorite scene was with Santa Claus. <laughs> and that's just sick and twisted. You know? was, like, I mean, I, I, I didn't know it was not going to go that well. And what it brought back for me was the memories of when Santa Claus wouldn't let us black children sit on his lap. Mm. And I thought that might come up in this because they did flash some black people singing 
in the in the beginning and i think they had two little um african-american kids in the classroom so mm -hmm. i thought we'd get it but when <laughs> santa claus just boots him in the face in the camera <laughs> santa claus boot i thought oh that's just terrible that's terrible ha <laughs> yes why am i laughing at this <laughs> i i almost wondered if this kind of scene or this moment was an inspiration for bad santa which is actually yes. my favorite uh -huh, uh -huh, christmas uh -huh, movie uh -huh, of mine uh -huh, uh -huh. i mean uh -huh. he seems like a drunken lout yes uh with these kind of mean elves who really aren't about <laughs> you know the giving kid kids this sweet memory of of santa you know it's really it's very corporate you know yeah. get this kid out of here down the slide it's it's not you know people talk about nostalgia and this movie has a nostalgic kernel to it but it's what is it nostalgic for yeah it is not totally clear I, I totally agree, Kat. I mean, I, I, it was not my cup of tea. I, I, uh, although as an upstate New Yorker, you know, I also kind of was relating to the snow and the, the sort of small town feel. But you know, and and it may be just me. I've been reading, you know, the with the January sixth stuff coming out, sort of very much thinking about Trump and so forth. And I was thinking, you know, this sort of seemed like that world that that a lot of folks you know, certain folks are hearkening back to right now. Right. And I'm, and, and that's why for me, you know, uh, the fact that there was so much below the surface of that film. And, and, and I think you, you sort of touch on a lot in your article, Kathy, but, but that he really doesn't get to. Right. And if people are thinking, Oh, this is what we want to go back to. I'm thinking, uh, Hmm. I don't know about that. Is this um, when America was great? Right, exactly, exactly. Mm. Right, and who was it great for, right? Mm. Yeah, so I did, I had a section that I couldn't, that I was working on and um, I work with, you know, the brilliant John Russo and Sherry Lincoln who edit this this uh, column, edit this site. And I one of the rules of Christmas movies that didn't make it into here is everybody in the beloved Christmas movies, everybody is white. Thank you. Like whiteness is a huge part of these films. And there, there are some African-American children in the school. There's some African-American singers at the opening. And then one of the gang yes. in Ralphie's fantasies, yeah. Yeah. the black Bart himself is like a 19th century outlaw, right? He's white. But one of the members of his gang is African-American and they're wearing that the, that sort of prison garb that yeah. we also associate, I think, with race to some some degree. Mm -hmm. And Lisa. that's who he's protecting his family from. Yeah. And I thought I thought the first one to appear at the bottom of the fence was black. I, and I could be wrong. And I was like, I was like, no, they didn't. And then <laughs> <it> came on. <laughs> I agree. I agree. There was a swarthiness to them and a whole sort of, you know. Um, well, it, this movie was made in 1983. And right. so I think that's, this movie says much more about 1983 than it, it does. does about 1940. Oh yeah. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Because 1940 was probably one of the most progressive years in American history. Uh, um, you know, it it was we we weren't in the war yet. It was we were coming out of the depression. There was tremendous uh, labor activism across the country. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was right on the cusp of the biggest 
mass waves of strikes that we had in 46 and 47. Mm -hmm. So it, in, in a way, you know, this is really Reagan's America uh, that, that we're getting a glimpse of in a Christmas story. Let's talk about your your three rules, and then I want to uh, wrap up with a very quick. Uh, I I I feel like I am probably going to watch the sequel now, just because of what you wrote about it makes me really interested. But I want to get a little bit in about that at the end. But let's let's talk about your uh, rule number one: American Christmas movies are big business. Well, I think um, you know this is something that has changed over the course of my lifetime. You know, TV was something that I did you know, that my parents wished that I wouldn't do. Um, and now, like last night at the dinner table, my mom was like, what what movie are we going to watch tonight? You know, mm. to, to myself mm. and my children. And, and so, you know, television turned into something that was, that was, um, I mean, really television was bad, right? I wasn't supposed to watch it. And now if you can get somebody in Gen Z to sit down and watch a whole movie without scrolling on their phone, like that is an incredible <laughs> Good victory. Luck. Good luck. So now Christmas movies are part of what we do at the holidays. And so what you remember is watching Christmas movies, you know, the year before or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So, so Christmas movies are a big part of how Americans celebrate Christmas. And one of the things about there were two new Christmas movies this year, this one and one called Spirited. They're very meta. So A Christmas Story Christmas is a meta tribute to the original. And almost all the original children have roles in this sequel. So and I found a fan site, a site created by the some of the original actors for the fans of the film that the children in the film have basically made a career out of being in this film. Yeah. I I can't think of too many other films that are like that. I, I took a look at that Facebook page. What a rabbit hole that was. I had to tear myself. It, it was amazing. It was, you, you are so right. And I was sort of torn, Kathy, because on the one hand, it's like kind of sad. On the other hand, you know, it's hard to be a working actor. So, hey, whatever works, right? This has been a way of uh, selling merchandise and keeping this fan base um, engaged. One of the children, you know, grown up now was just at a mall in Ohio. You know, I think they make appearances and they sign things and they sell things. And it's just a big part of what they do. And they actually don't allow any outside links. So they didn't allow me to post my link to this column, which I think that the fans would really enjoy. Oh, that's funny. Rule number two in Christmas movies, we're all we were all once working class and we're still struggling financially. Yeah, I mean, all of it. Right. So Scrooge is actually the first movie that came to mind with this because Bill Murray's character, who's mm -hmm. insanely wealthy. We go back to this little house that he lived in when the ghost of Christmas past comes and his dad's a butcher mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and his dad brings the family five pounds of veal. The dad is quite abusive and short with everybody in the family. Mm -hmm. And the, the mother is who is smoking like a chimney in her bathrobe and pregnant um, 
she, you know, clearly loves uh, little, little Frank, little Bill Murray. And he leaves the house crying and the ghost of Christmas past thinks that he's gotten him with nostalgia. And Bill Murray says, do you know how much that veal was worth? <laughs> like that was an amazing present for my father to bring us home. Um, so there's some kind of imaginary where, uh, you know, uh, Scrooge is of modest means in the past. Uh, Bill Murray's Scrooge is of modest means in the past. Uh, this this Reagan America doesn't harken back to, uh, you know, some elite family. This is this kind of working class family. Uh, so I think that is is a big part of Christmas nostalgia, because when we were working class, we really cared about um, we had more love than money. Right. Like that's a big that's a big theme in, in all of these movies, that love is more important than money. Yes. Yes, which actually leads right to, to rule number three, which is American <clears throat> uh, Christmas movies reject consumerism. Yeah, this this <clears throat> doesn't make sense, right? Shouldn't American Christmas movies be about consumerism? But somehow they have to walk this line where if you actually worship consumerism, it's just gross. Nobody wants to see that. Like, I was thinking nobody's made a good movie about Black Friday, you know? Nobody wants to see a movie <laughs> oh, oh, no, about... Oh, no. Yes, somebody has. Yes, somebody oh. has. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Yes, somebody has. Yes, yes. Um, it's called The Stop Shopping Chorus. Oh. And Reverend... Ooh, 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 ooh. I'll, I'll have to look it up. Um, I'll send it to you. But they have a video out, and it's about Black Friday, and it's really good. Okay. I saw them at the uh, uh, Poor People... Uh, People's Music Network uh, conference just before COVID, and he and the whole chorus perform, and he does like a Reverend, you know, whatever Southern, you know, Baptist white minister type thing, and it's just like really convincing. <laughs> but this course is called the Stop Shopping Course, and that's their purpose. Okay, that's great. Well, I'm very happy to be wrong about that because I no, think no, no, it's just you know recent something. Except, recent. Exception to pull that uh, proves the rule, right? It does. So, yeah. Um, and Maybe. the one of the most interesting uh, little uh, kind of television specials for this case is the Peanuts. The Peanuts is very weird. It's quite depressing. The children are very mean to each other. <laughs> and Charlie Brown is complaining about commercialism and they're putting on a little school play about uh, the nativity. And so Linus belts out with like 10 lines from i think it's from matthew uh, the book of matthew in the bible from the story of uh jesus's birth and then that then it ends like that's the real story of christmas um uh you, you know the grinch you know the the who's don't care that all of their decorations and food and presents have been stolen you know every christmas movie ends with this um this feel good sense that what really matters is just being together. Uh, even though this is in a sense, the, the holiday, the moment that every business relies on every, uh, every retail business relies on for its annual profit margins. Well, you talk about this in, in, in your piece, um, for one season, for one silent night, American capitalism lies to us about what it values. 
One of the things I liked about Scrooge at the end, where he talks about, you know, this is a one time a year when people act how they want it, how they would like to act, right? Their best selves. And 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 Murray's you know, point is that why can't we be like this all the freaking time, right? And that's kind of to me what the labor movement is about is you know trying to trying to make Christmas year round. Maybe that's what our mistake is. Maybe we need to sell it as Christmas year round. What do you think? <laughs> we shouldn't just care about whether or not people have a good meal and things that they can enjoy and appreciate one day a year, right? That should be an an everyday goal for those of us who care about inequality. But but I guess and let me let me get uh Lisa on this too. I guess the thing that I I you know I found confusing as a kid and I find even more confusing as an adult is people can be so kind and thoughtful and generous at Christmas time, right? I mean, literally they go out, they give food to the home. I used to, you know, I, I cooked at a homeless shelter here in, in DC and, 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 you know, starting after Thanksgiving, man, the food just rolls in, the money rolls in, but I tell you what, come January, you know, forget about it, you know, the rest of the year. And it's like, I don't get like, it's the same people. It's the same people who have need, what the hell changed? But at least let me get some response from you and let me go back to Kathy. Well, I think <clears throat> that that one of the contradictions in American culture is the, the nostalgia and appreciation of being poor and working class. Mm. But the aim is always to be the upper class. Uh, I mean, that's what, I was I was sent to college to be a doctor. I was going to make more. <laughs> I wasn't gonna, I wasn't told to go work in the plant like my father did or clean the homes of the wealthy like my mother. I was told that there was no shame in any work. You know, you whatever job you did, you had to do really well. But the expectation was I was going to do better, right? The next generation, generation would do better. So that's a contradiction of, of American culture is that, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, those were the good old days and things were simpler. But, you know, you have abuse, you have violence in the home, you have, um, you know, bullying going on. And uh, that that part that and one of the things I thought about in, this, in that film was like they're actually displaying what toxic how toxic masculinity starts with. So the two little boys who were the bullies, you know, it's like, what's it like in their home? I mean, they live in some freaking hellhole, right? And the other thing, and I would add is this rule number four to these uh, our Christmas movie list, uh, all the ones I looked at, is the central figure, the protagonist, is male. Huh. That's right. Yeah, and I it's a wonderful it. life, a Christmas I... story, Charlie Brown, Elf, <laughs> Grinch who stole Christmas, Bad Santa, Muppet Christmas Carol, Miracle on 34th Street, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and Home Alone. So I learned this in a very strange way. One of the reasons I really know Christmas movies is my family dresses up as a different one every year. <laughs> oh, that is so cute. <laughs> and I have, uh, now I have an 18-year-old uh, boy and a 15-year-old girl. Um and so to find movies where my daughter would sort of be central. Now in The Grinch, Cindy Lou Who is a is a prominent character. So my daughter yeah, she's not the protagonist. Who, yeah, absolutely not. And in A Miracle on 34th Street, uh uh Natalie Wood as a child does have a very important role. Yeah. Um she's not the protagonist. She's not the protagonist. You guys are, can I just say, you guys are good. I had a little paragraph that also got edited out that there's a kind of a attempt to mesh Santa with Christ 
in, in a lot mm. of these movies. Mm. So oh. Buddy the Elf is weirdly almost a Christ figure. He's a, he's the son of, you know, this this wealthy uh publisher uh and and their their reunion at the end. Anyway, you know, he he's an alien who comes and has this message of love that nobody wants to hear. Um so so there is a a, a weird um the the Christian narrative comes into these movies that that don't really seem like they're they're a good host for them, um, and so that may also account for the masculine. But it's also just just Hollywood that you know these movies are written by, produced, and created and directed uh, by men. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I I wouldn't have paid any attention to it except for your article. And it was really that last line, <clears throat> the wealthiest characters in these films <clears throat> usually have the least access to love and happiness. And I thought, wow, and they're always the one who has the change, right? It's Scrooge that has the change. Yes. Even Bob Cratchit is there and we're all relating to Bob Cratchit, it's Scrooge that has the change. It's the Grinch that has the change. And, <clears throat> and then I thought going, Grinch, Scrooge, wait a minute, wait a minute, are these all men? Wait a minute, hold on here. It's like, oh, then, now this is just me because I have two things. One is about costumes and hair, which I always pick at when I see a movie. Uh, and the other one was this blue-eyed, cherubic, white boy as the representation of, of um, youth and wonder. And I thought the same thing when I saw the Fablemans, because the the young young man, the little boy in that, is also big, blue-eyed kid. And I. I really thought this kid does not really look like either of these people. He doesn't look like Darren McGavin mm. and he doesn't look like Melin Melinda Dillon. And, um, and I thought, so, but they really want this big blue eyes looking up at the camera and, and he cries and his little tears come out. And I saw the <laughs> Fablemans and I thought the same thing. When I saw the Fablemans. I was like, here's this Jewish family. And I, I don't know. I, Steven Spielberg may have blue eyes and may have big blue eyes growing up. But I mean, that that kid in that camera repeatedly with the big blue eyes, I thought, why don't you just go ahead and film in Sweden where the real white people live? You know what I'm saying? But I, <laughs> it was shot, by the way, in my research, um, uh, two things I want to share. It was shot in Toronto. And I mentioned that, uh, A, because it's interesting, and B, because Kathy, you said the sequel was shot in, what, Hungary or something? Bulgaria. 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 So, so to find Middle America, even in 83, they had to go to Toronto, and in 2000, you know, whatever, they had to go to Bulgaria. Interesting. The other thing is, like I say, this was not my cup of tea. I had all kinds of critical issues with this film, but I went and checked the reviews. Even freaking Vincent Camby, who doesn't like anything, Liked it. it, liked it, and and uh, uh, Roger Ebert, Roger Ebert loved it. It was not a hit when it came out. This was back, I think it was DVDs and cassettes, right, Kathy? So it didn't make it to DVD for around five years, I think, in the late eighties. But it was, it was um, so it screened in the theater. It did pretty well. It made twenty million at the box office, on top yeah. of three point three million that it took to make. But then um, it was a sleeper hit. It was through being broadcast on TNT and TBS, and especially as a Christmas marathon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so when you say Christmas marathon, you mean they just ran it over and over again? Yeah. They run it over and over again for 24 hours. Yeah, I have to tell you, this is this is my, completely my definition of, of hell. Like, like 
you know, like, <laughs> I mean, it's hard for me to be, and this, we can do another show on this sometime. I mean, it's very hard for me to think of which film I'd want to watch for 24 hours. All right, Kathy, before we go, you got to tell us about the sequel. Oh, yeah. The sequel is is really a love letter to the fans. It has uh, what they call Easter eggs. It has a lot of references, gestures, callbacks to the big moments in the original uh, the film. One thing I find really interesting is the main character has some who's who's Ralphie Parker, all grown up. He has some unnamed white collar job. We don't know what it is. But he and his wife have somehow saved enough money for him to take a full year off of work to become a sci-fi novelist. <laughs> and he has this like horrible novel that nobody wants to read. Uh, at the end, he writes the obituary for his dad and it turns into one of these reminiscences that then gets published. So it's almost like he kind of reverse engineers Gene Shepard's career as a, a writer and a, a humorist who told these uh, stories uh, of, of yore. Um, and so one of the points I often make about uh, uh, linking class and culture is that many of these movies are about the fact that making culture itself is work. So we see writing as a kind of labor. He's in the attic, he's got a typewriter, um, the BB gun is there, uh, but he's not interested in the BB gun now. He's got a new dream, a new a new desire. Um, Scott Farkas, the bully, going back to your point, Elise, is now a cop, and <laughs> and Ralphie gets of course gets he is busted by him in a sort of caper, and they have kind of a a reconciliation as adults, and it's it's pretty interesting. So. I, the thing I appreciate about this franchise is that it's actually tr not trying to fill us with love and wonder. It's actually saying like, you know, this dad is kind of an abusive jerk and this mom is drinking wine on Christmas morning and Ralph gets what he wants, but he shoots his eye out. Just like everybody said, you know, it's, there's something kind of, um, rude and crude about these stories which is why i think it appealed to male critics um and yeah. so so i appreciate that it's not trying to completely sugarcoat this past mm -hmm. but it's also a past that doesn't really represent who we are uh, as america it doesn't it's um it's a it's a white male uh uh anti-nostalgia that uh that that doesn't move us forward. We need new stories. We need new Christmas movies. And right now is a time when finally some are are starting to get produced. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think about, there's a, there's a movie called Jingle Jangle. That's all African-American actors, stories, director. I watched it last year and I was like, okay, so it's us black folks doing what white folks did. <laughs> Hey, it's progress. That's progress, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Okay. I'll 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 work. But it was brain candy. You know, it was really bloop, bloop, you know, it's like, okay, I'm done with that. Don't have to repeat it. Don't want to make anybody else sit down and watch it either. So I was trying to think of how to end this. And uh Elise, I think you need to do your song for us for the end. Oh, oh the <laughs> Oh, 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 don't act all like you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. 
We wish you a happy holiday. We wish you a happy holiday. We wish you a happy holiday and an organized year on Christmas and Kwanzaa, Hanukkah too. A season of justice is our wish for you. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Thank you, Kathy. Fabulous column, as always. And um, thank you for introducing us to this classic. And uh, look forward to the next one. And can I think we can just uh, wish everybody uh, Merry Christmas. I love the I love the hope for an organized new year. I think uh, we have a better shot at that than we've had in a long time. Thank you, All right. You. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Take care, guys. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's it for this week's special Christmas edition of Labor History Today. From Labor Goes to the Movies, a podcast I co-host with Elise Bryant. You can subscribe to both Labor Goes to the Movies and Labor History Today on your favorite podcast app. Even better, if you like what you hear, and we sure hope you do, please like us in your podcast app, pass the shows along, and leave reviews. That really helps folks to find us. Labor History in Two is a partnership between the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show, a labor-themed radio show out of Pennsylvania. The Labor History Today team includes Ben Blake, Patrick Dixon, Leon Fink, Sherry Lincoln, Joe McCartan, Evan Papp, Jessica Pozak, and Alan Weirdak. For Labor History Today, this has been Chris Garlock. Thanks for listening, keep making history, and see you next time.